The following Downstage Center program was originally broadcast in September 2006. Welcome to Downstage Center, a presentation of XM Satellite Radio and the American Theatre Wing. I'm John von Susten, Program Director of XM28 on Broadway. And I'm Howard Sherman, Executive Director of the American Theatre Wing. Today we're joined by a couple of guys who had an idea, had a dream that has now come to fruition. (laughs) We're joined by Chris Stewart and Isaac Robert Hurwitz, who are now in the third season of what is called the New York Musical Theater Festival. It's one of those um, uh, festivals that take place in the summertime here in New York, in fact, all around the country. I guess the question that first comes to my mind, other than say, welcome, guys. Thank you. <laughs> it's good to be here. The <laughs> question that first comes to mind, with so many festivals running all over the country, certainly here in New York, like the Fringe Festival, Summer mm-hmm. Play Festival, some of the others, why yet another festival, and how is yours different than the others? Well, I kind of feel like, in some ways, we exist in a different place than a lot of those because there's really only one musical theatre festival and I think there are a lot of people like me that came to New York because musical theatre helps define this city it gives us gives it a real point of difference and when we were first putting the festival together in the first year we looked around at the other the others that already existed whether it was theatre festivals or film festivals other events that take place in New York City But something like this, New York's the only place in the world where you can have a musical theatre festival. It's the only place in the world where you have that weight of performers and venues and artists and writers, just people that really are excited and and want to be a part of the art form. And exclusively musicals for yours, no plays. Plays need not apply. Well, as long as we try and keep it as broad as possible. I think our, our mission is really to promote musically driven theatrical work. So we've taken that in the broadest possible sense. Uh, We've had things that are really plays with music, and we've had things... This year we have a series of dance musicals, um, which are, you know, fall perhaps on the opposite end of the spectrum from that. But one of the things that's unique about musical theater is just the, the collaborative nature of it and the number of people that are involved and must be involved. And I think that however that calculus works itself out... Um, that's a common denominator among all of our shows, really. I think it was always important to us from from day one to sort of show that one of the things that's really exciting about musical theatre is how inclusive it is, about how many different kind of artists and musical styles and people that work in the theatre can be included in what musical theatre can do. I think a lot of people have a very particular idea. And one of the things we wanted to do was, was create a place where people that didn't necessarily want to write the traditional American musical, the, the great Broadway musical, but still were really interested in, in musical theatre and, and how it can express the stories they wanted to tell, give them a place for that. The accent we're hearing is not a New York accent <laughs> when we talk to you, Chris. And it's my understanding that you came to New York only a few years ago. Yeah. Did you come to New York specifically with the idea of starting this kind of festival? No. no. In Australia, I had been working mostly as a director. i have been working in the commercial musical theatre there. Um, and a couple of years before I moved here, I came here in 2001 um, for the couple of years before that, I'd been running a program in Melbourne that was New Musicals Australia. It was partly about developing new musical artists and getting works up and things. At the same time, um, I was also doing... There's a lot of festivals in Australia. It's a, that kind of culture. It's a very celebratory place. We're enjoying a good time. Um, and I'd been doing a lot of sort of major events and large concerts and festivals there. I moved here in 2001, and partly I was to take a job with a small sort of non-profit here in in. New York 
that was doing developmental work, um, was doing writer support programs, doing readings, doing evaluations of new musicals. And I'd been there for about six months, I think, as sort of executive director. And I don't know, I, I think in my mind, when I imagined coming to New York City as a, as a foreigner, I kind of expected that the community here would be different than the one that I came from. But the musical theatre community, I think, is always small and tight-knit. Many of the problems that young writers or emerging writers face in, in New York is similar to London and Sydney and lots of places in the world. And um, when I came here, I was sort of struck by the fact there are lots of places where writers could develop their works, but not many places where they could find production for them. You could sort of do reading after reading and you'd get in this kind of development hell. you get caught below this sort of glass ceiling that was really hard to break through. And one of the things, and that was really where the idea of the festival came from, it was trying to, it was looking at this place where I was seeing a lot of sort of my peers, a lot of writers just sort of sitting around shrugging their shoulders waiting for the phone to ring because they didn't feel they had the ability to take their show a step further. Musical theatre is so resource heavy, it's such a demanding thing to do. So with the festival, the idea in the first year was to create an environment where through like once you sort of build it to this kind of critical mass, once you get it to this kind of scale, what it means for any individual show within the festival is it becomes much lower risk. You know, you're sharing the risk with a lot of shows. You're in an environment where you are going to get seen, where the investment of time and energy you're making is going to have kind of a reward for you. I think that's that's I, where, where did you come into the party? Well, uh, I think the other, the other piece of this story was that Chris was working on a small uh, mm -hmm. not-for-profit, and I was also working at the time at Ensemble Studio Theatre, um, having and I was directing as well, and we met as directors. Mm -hmm. um, but it was uh, a group of a number of artists and people representing small non-profits developing musical theatre in the city that, that all got together, and it was a question of whether we could pool our resources. That was one of the first ideas, I think. Yeah. And and uh you know so I came as a representative of of that and also as uh a fellow young artist who wanted to help move things forward and was invested in that. Mm. Um and it really that first year between April and uh September it was uh just we really didn't <laughs> it was flying by the seat of our pants I would say. Yeah, it was kind <laughs> of like when we first did the idea the idea was to grab a whole bunch of companies that were sort of working in New York doing developmental work but are existing sort of slightly below the radar it's a very noisy city for these kinds of things very hard to to get your work and to get it out and seen as widely as as you want and the original idea with the festival was to find a place where all of these companies could come together the funny thing was after um you know the idea first come up at a round table that that we're at um we sort of went away and started talking to writer friends and other companies that existed and the people that seemed to get most excited by the idea were independent producers independent writers people who as individuals felt like they really had no way to get this stuff up themselves they were kind of just completely out in in this sort of isolated place and when we started talking about what the festival could be because we as, as i can remember we sort of spent about nine months just like knocking on doors and i was like this sort of traveling salesman constantly pitching and shilling for this <laughs> thing that no one really believed was going to happen um, 
And the people that were most willing to kind of invest the time and, and take the risk in that first year were these kinds of writers and producers that were just finding it impossible in this city to, to get the work up, to get it to the next stage. And things like Alter Boys, which was in the, the first year, um, that was something that had been, and Trailer Park was another classic example, had been ready to go for a while. And they'd been they'd done reading after reading and were kind of like, look, we're just going to have to give up on this and, and move on to the next project if it doesn't find its place soon. And for those kinds of shows, they just needed the opportunity. They needed the location. They needed the kind of context that could really launch them in the right way. And that was what I thought, especially in its first year, the festival did most successfully. I think you know, there's, there's the piece that was missing that the festival provided in that first year was the addition of an audience for these projects and that there's so much development that goes on in private. Um, we're certainly not replacing that. There's a very important place for that. Uh, but there's a missing link between that and a workshop production or a full production that's going to cost at least $200,000 or $150,000. And so this provided a really low-risk atmosphere for audiences and and the community at large to come together and sort of view what the potential of these shows would be in a three-dimensional way. And theatre is ultimately a three-dimensional live art form. We would always talk in the first year that there's always infinite reasons to not do a show. You know what I mean? If you're like a commercial producer, there's always a lot of reasons why you think, oh, maybe it's not quite the right time. It's, oh, things are hard with shows this year. It's, you know, there's a lot of ways to convince yourself to not put something on. By us getting the shows up, getting them fully rehearsed, getting them on their feet, getting full production of these things up, it gave commercial producers a chance to be in the audience with real people to see what was working and what wasn't, to to get reviews for things, for shows to get momentum behind them. So they had they had like something they could transfer with. You weren't just trying to sort of like launch a show from square one. When shows like Alter Boys sort of transferred from the festival, they already had a lot of buzz and momentum behind them and it made it a lot easier for them to succeed. Now you both keep talking about the first year, that would be two thousand four. That was said, right? That's right. Two this years is, ago, this yeah. now your third season third time around. You're already running. You started uh, this week, mm-hmm. and you're running through October 1st, is mm-hmm. it? Exactly. Yeah. So it's about three, three and a half weeks, and something th- in excess of 30 shows being produced at a dozen or so stages around the city. Exactly. Do I have all that right? Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I've got sure. 34 shows this year, 34. and then a whole bunch of concerts and, and readings and seminars. And Some of the, you've mentioned uh, Altar Boys being probably the most notable of the the graduates, so to speak, of of your festival. Also, Great American Trailer Park Musical, Captain Louie, in title of show, which uh, was about creating a show to be entered into the festival. Exactly. Behind the scenes, how the guys (laughs) actually did create it. Um, Pretty good track record so far for the first couple of years. It was. It was a great... (laughs) I mean, I think the first year, one of the things that was remarkable was how many shows were just sitting there waiting to be done. And when we went around talking to people, trying to garner support for the festival, a lot of people turned to us and said, why don't you just throw your support behind one or two projects you're really interested in? And it was it really is a different model of saying there are a lot of projects out there that are unfinished or that are have potential, and we're going to throw our support over a large, broad swath of these and try to really diversify, um, not put all of our eggs in one or two creative baskets. Oh, sorry. And and what you know, and so it provided an avenue for a whole lot of shows in that first year. We were, I think, a little bit concerned that after that we would have reached the bottom of that first drawer. <laughs> um, but what's been really remarkable is that over two years we've really seen a lot of new projects that have been coming that have clearly been written in recent months and years, and that's uh, 
gratifying to see that there's a an engine being created there. Well, some of them, like title of the show, written expressly for being yes. entered. Others, you say, exist already, like Trailer Park Musical existed. Trailer Park, Betsy Boys. Kelso, who wrote the book and directed it in the festival and uh, and off-Broadway, yeah. um, she had done, she had tried to get it up, um, I think, five years or so earlier. She had been working on it. I think it grew out of a stand-up routine. Um, and had it had been optioned, and then nothing had happened to it. I think the risk that the producer had felt that the risk was too great. So it just went back in her drawer and was sitting there, and she had sort of was about to give up on it, and uh, the opportunity came along, and she said, I'm going to give it one more shot here. And uh, there were swarms of producers that last week. And again, it was about a question of momentum, especially for that show. It's one of the things about theatre, I think, and it's succeeding, is it's completely like about gut responses to things. It's really easy if you're just reading something or or you're listening to a few songs to kind of like second guess how it would work for an audience. But when that was Trailer Park, especially, which I remember in the first year, was before an audience and you're there and you're laughing and people around you, there's these waves of laughter and that's when it sparks. Producing musical theatre is kind of a crazy thing for anyone to do. It's a, it's a kind of maverick act. It's for people that just think I don't care, I'm going to get this show up. I want to see this happen. I want to see this move off Broadway into Broadway. That only happens if you've got a real visceral gut response to it, if you're really if you're really excited by it. But putting something like Trailer Park up and in front of an audience that allow producers to have that response to it, not just a clinical response on paper, but to see how, how enjoyable and, and, and fantastic it was live. But you talk about some of these shows which had not had a chance to get in front of an audience yet. As I look, say, at this year's schedule, mm-hmm. there are certainly a few pieces that, that I recognize. Uh, the Screams of Kitty Genovese, which was workshopped several years ago at the O'Neill Center up in Connecticut, and I think has had a number of developmental productions with audiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, Flight of the Lawn Chairman, which was produced last summer at Goodspeed at Chester, and indeed yeah. the production here is really the same cast. Where do you fit between taking shows that have been seen elsewhere, but maybe not exposed to New York? There are other shows, I believe, in your schedule that actually were done at the New York Fringe Festival in prior years. How does this all come together? Our our full productions uh, are really split between two different sections. Uh, We have a series called the Next Link series, which is our blind open submission process, and we receive about 400 submissions a year for that, and that gets narrowed down ultimately to about 15 works. Um, And I think both Flight of the Lawn Chair Man and uh, The Screams of Kitty Genovese were submitted by the writers in in that, and we don't look at who the writers are when those scripts get evaluated, because it's really meant to provide an opportunity for a diverse range of voices to be heard. Um, i the other, the other group are shows that we invite, and sometimes we reach out to theaters that we know develop shows and try to bring uh, shows here because New York is in many ways the industry, you know, hub of this of this industry, and so it, it, it's another step up for these shows. Uh, I think for Kitty Genovese, for example, although it has been developed, uh, they have continued to work on this. I know they're working in London this summer, mm-hmm. uh, continuing to hone the book and the score. And this is an opportunity for the show to be seen in three dimensions on fully produced in New York uh, in a way that may help launch future development and productions of the work. Um, We're also kind of realistic about it. For for, for a lot of these shows, the opportunity to be seen at good speed or in some of the major regional musical theatres is fantastic. But for a lot of them, 
the opportunity to be seen and reviewed in New York is a sort of a significant different step for what it allows for licensing and for a future life for the work. So we're kind of realistic about it. Our priority is always going to be on exposing new artists and launching new artists. But we're also realistic about the fact that it, it doesn't end with the first production your first musical ever gets. The most important thing is that these shows have a future life, that they're, that they're seen in the kind of context they want to be seen in. And I think writers like these guys have been developing this, these works for a while through developmental processes. It's really important they get this kind of, of opportunity in New York City. Yeah, I mean, the other part of that uh, that people ask us a lot is, uh, you know, we do have established writers who have worked in the festival. We've had Stephen Schwartz. We've had uh, Douglas Carter Bean's show last year was uh, the big time. And I think both new writers and old writers benefit from the sort of juxtaposition and shared space. Uh, Too often they get sort of ghettoized into different camps. You keep saying full productions. Help us to understand... This is not Broadway level. You're doing these in smaller venues. But what kind of budget is being applied on these? If I'm going to see these shows, how fully produced am I seeing a show on well, stage? Well, they're in off-Broadway venues. Mm-hmm. Um, the shows have obviously been rehearsed for four weeks. They're fully costumed. We, Because we're playing in a festival environment and they're playing in repertory, which means that one show might be at 2 o'clock and a different show might be at 8 o'clock, typically sets are scaled down, which is possibly like a touring show that has to arrive at a venue, do a show that night, pack it up, throw it in the truck, move to the next town. Um, So what our focus is on on a lot of them is making sure that what the performers are doing is supported. They've had enough time in rehearsal. They've had enough uh, resources behind them. So what we are seeing uh, from them and from musically from the show gives you a good sense of it. But of course, we we wouldn't want these to be akin to the Broadway production. We we always hope that a producer or someone comes to this can imagine what in the next level it can be taken to. You just said you hope producers come to this, but a few moments ago you spoke about critics coming to this. Mm-hmm. There's been an uproar in Chicago mm-hmm. recently, uh, although based on some false information, the, the core of the issue is that uh, the Chicago Sun-Times came and reviewed eight new musicals in a developmental presentation and dismissed them all, mm-hmm. apparently. Um, all of the uproar that follows is a separate issue. But what is the effect of bringing critics in? The festival has gotten enormous attention immediately. You're getting major papers covering this work, yet at the same time saying you hope producers see it and want to pick it up. Does that critical involvement change the nature of of what you're choosing for the festival or how people approach the festival i think obviously obviously you're you've got to walk there's a line that's being walked and it's but i think we try very hard to make everyone feel that they're a part of this team that is supporting new works um we've been we've been up front from the beginning that we're open to the press our productions are all open for review um the participants know that when they apply and um, and we don't want to apologize for those. That said, we also make it very clear that these are not the final shows, mm. and that they are um, they're in they are still you know we're looking f- for people to respond to the potential of these. I think projects. it's also a question of context as well. I think <clears throat> reviewers there's a difference between 
someone coming to an opening night of a $14 million musical that's been rehearsed for six months and is going to charge $110 a ticket. I mean, that a critic has a certain, has a different responsibility then than I think they do in the context of this is a show in a festival environment. What we are doing is there's a certain generosity from the performers in saying we've invested you know, four weeks in this, this is the first time it's seen before the public, we're trying it out, we're not saying this is the last point for this show. And I think what we've experienced is critics have understood the context of what they're seeing. We're not pretending that it's $110 to come and see it. We're not present, pretending that it's, a, you know, a large Disney smash, though I hope many of them may be. What we're sort of saying is this is an opportunity to see these shows launched, and if that's an experience that you want to be involved with and something you want to see, then this can be a, a great place for a critic to respond to that. And do you think the critics in the past two seasons have taken that into account? Do they understand that this is developmental work? I think, think? It, so far, yes. Uh, and we work really hard. I mean, we believe that critics uh, are a partner in the process of launching a show. It's not They're not a, a tool to be used and brought in, but they're a, you know, a partner just as the audience is a partner and getting audience feedback. Um, I just think it's really easy to think that critics are idiots. You know what I mean? Like, that's this constant thing that... Who, who said that? Oh, look, <laughs> I don't think anyone's ever said that. I think there's always, a suggest, uh, there's always this sort of feeling that I'm in a fantastic show, but what if the critic doesn't like me or doesn't understand it or decides he wants to stab me in the heart for putting myself on stage? Mostly, critics that have come and seen festival works have completely understood what what's happening here and what the ambition is and what the aim for these works is. And that's not to say universally every show in the festival has gotten a good review, but I think universally every show in the festival has gotten a fair review. And I think every review that... We, and by and large, we've had a great response to, to the shows. And I think um, when critics have had things to say that they thought didn't work in the shows, we probably, and the shows probably would have agreed, that was part of the process of putting them before an audience, was to say, was to find out a bit more about them. And none of these reviews have killed any of the shows. And if anything, with things like Altar Boys and Trailer Park and Title of Show and um, Cheerleader last year, the fact they got New York Times raves, for want of a better word, helped add to that momentum, helped make, critic, helped make producers think, well... Let's take the risk on this. Let's I mean, move it a bit. Further. That said, we we do have a series of readings that we don't invite the press to, um, and we make that distinction, saying that there are certain works that aren't ready, that are really being hashed out, and they're not ready for that sort of permanent seal uh, of uh, validation or not. Mm-hmm. And I think that's it's just important that everyone is informed as to where these things are and. I kind of think you're not writing a novel as well. You know what I mean? Like you're doing theatre and you can sort of sit at home and fine-tune the lyrics and fuss with something from now till the cows come home. At some stage, you need to put it up on, 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 on the stage and say, this is what I've created. You know, what do you think as an audience member? And a critic is always part of someone that you hope is going to help transcribe what that moment was, what that kind of response was from an audience, what the show was that was being offered to them. That's true. I mean... six months out from the festival that moment of joy that people experience in the theater is gone except in the fact that it's been 
documented on paper. Or in the fact there might be podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you, you are certainly attracting critics to see the show. You're attracting audiences. Some of the shows have been sold out in the past. You're attracting potential producers and backers. You're also, if I scan through the listing of the shows, attracting some major A-list Broadway yeah. performers as well. Yeah. And I may miss a few, but p- names like Hunter Foster, Terrence Mann, Fivers Finkel, Kerry Butler, Andrea McArdle, Emily Skinner. Did I miss any of the... the the top um, names. <laughs> I, I, I certainly do want to. I'm going to draw a bl- terrible blank. We've been really lucky, and one of the, the reasons for that, I think, is is that it's two reasons. One is it's very, very rare for all of these performers to get the chance to launch a new musical. You spend most of your career doing restagings. The canon of musicals is actually relatively small, and it's very rare that many new ones get the chance to be launched. And I think, hopefully, we've created an environment where these kind of Tony-winning performers can come and work in it and know that it's respected. They're not going to make a a Broadway paycheck for four weeks, but sometimes it's worth investing a month of your life so you can be there at the moment when this show is launched, that that they can see this investment is worth something. And part of that has come, to be honest, after we had the first year, and we're very lucky with some of the shows that came out in the first year, but we, we really noticed in the second year there was like a real step up in the level of, of performers that wanted to be involved because it wasn't like, I'm going to do a month of my life, do this show, no one's ever going to see it, it's not going to mean right. anything. They were able to, to invest this time, get a show up and really see there was a great chance this would transfer with them in it like Alter Boys did. I mean, as a matter of degree, there are you know very well-established writers and uh, in the festival as well. Um, and there are there have always been old, you know, established Artists of every caliber who have been working in the first year. I remember Tony-winning designer Don Holder was doing the mm-hmm. lights for some of these. So it really has... Um, it's it's an opportunity to get in on the ground floor in a lot of these projects, and it's, it's a professional environment. We've tried really hard to straddle that world of do-it-yourself and also providing a professional framework for these people to do the work properly. Because secretly every one of them remembers. If you're even Fivish Finkel, you remember a time when you came into theatre and you just sort of did it, you know. You turned up each day and you rehearsed because it's a it's fundamentally an enjoyable thing to do. You know, it's not digging ditches. Yeah. Um, and part of what this is about is you get the joy of just going back to something and you're the first person to have said these lines. You're the first person to have, to have done this. Now... But equally, that kind of do-it-yourself, going back to the roots, is only enjoyable if it's in kind of a professional framework where you know what you're contributing is going to be respected and seen in the right light. And that's been the kind of thing we've tried to tried to straddle. And I think it's why people like Kelly O'Hara or two other people that are in this year, um, a bunch of... D. Hoti. There's a whole range Beth of people. Fowler. Beth Fowler. And very... Ex- as well as... Katie you know, Finneran. People yeah. that are quite still young in their career, but also some very experienced performers as well who can enjoy that moment of going back and working with younger and developing writers. Well, the performers in the shows, the people behind the scenes, if the show does transfer to off-Broadway, even Broadway, do they necessarily go with it? They certainly uh, have a right of first refusal under their Actors' Equity contract. Everyone is really sacrificing salary up front. They're, the, the, what the individual producers of these shows, and we have we partner with an individual producer on each show. Um, what they can spend is limited by Actors Equity to twenty thousand dollars is the cap. Um, so spend on performers or on the entire show. On the entire on on the entire show. Obviously, we bring a, an enormous amount to the table that doesn't go into that calculus. Um, but 
because they're not spending to market. They're not spending. Are they spending? They're not spending to rent the theater. No, exactly. That's all. What we're you're providing yeah. Yeah, a lighting package and sound. And, and all part of the idea things. originally was that anything that could be shared across the shows would be stuff that the festival would provide. Because obviously, we can. You get an economy of scale when you're doing 34 mm-hmm. musicals, and it's not just the nuts and bolts economy of scale. It's also the ability for us to to walk into a room and speak to a media sponsor like Playball this year or many of our tech sponsors and say come on man these are new musicals you, you need to support this for the future of, of, of what you're doing you really just put your hand in your pocket and, and let us have this stuff for free one an author can't go in and, and argue that because they'll be you know, they'll just slam the door and think they're crazy. But it's easier for us to go in there because we can give evidence of what that kind of stuff can bring. So anything in the shows, venues, marketing, uh, tech, a lot of the staffing is stuff where we come in and we provide it. Anything that's just the show itself. The creative that, teams, their performers, costumes, I suppose. Scenery yeah. and yeah. musicians, that sort of thing. Exactly. Yeah. And like Isaac was saying, part of what we also can do for them is go to the unions and help strike deals so that, you know, the performers in the festival are pretty much doing it for travel expenses. You know, they're pretty much doing it for Metro cards and some lunch. I mean, mm-hmm. no one's doing it to pay their rent. Are you month. exaggerating or are you... Uh, he's exaggerating. I mean, it, it, there's, a, there's a minimum stipend of $200 for the four weeks of rehearsal and two weeks of performances. 200 total, 200 total. total. So that's it's a major sacrifice. It's certainly not a Broadway salary that, you know, some of these performers are used to. But I think that in this industry, everyone is always looking to the next job. Mm. And everyone's always looking to the next phase of their lives and what the, what you know, what what shows are there going to be two years from now? And so there's an interest, there's self-interest, but there's also an interest in the the health of the industry and the health of the art form. And so a lot of people are sacrificing, and in exchange, they get the right to move forward with the show. And these shows are all done under equity rules? Yes. Yeah. Does that mean all the actors have to be in equity? They're all equity They actors. don't all have so, to, no. But so, I mean, some of the international actors certainly aren't and, mm-hmm. and some of the younger actors I mean there's a number of shows that have sort of teen performers and things like that a lot of those guys don't necessarily have, have they're not hands, under they're, on, they're not under um, you know equity rules where everybody has to be equity but anyone who is equity has to be treated with certain, certain yeah. terms and things. even if they move forward with the show and the show doesn't necessarily want to use Fiverr Shrinkle though I can't think of a reason why not um, then they also have the safety of, of knowing they'll be paid for the time spent. You know what I mean? Like they will either go with the show or they'll be paid. They get for the, four weeks of, of yeah. the new of the if it goes to Broadway, they'll get four weeks of the Broadway salary. So it's like getting back paid for the time you're you're invested. You know? so, so say that again. If they don't go to Broadway, but the show does, they get paid four weeks. The, uh, it's a couple of weeks. It, it actually it's depends a, yeah. on what the contract is. It's like yeah. It's not as simple as one would <laughs> like it to be. Strangely, with you, some sort of a buyout. The, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. The buyout. Exactly. But I, I think then we would send people off to other channels. Exactly. Um, at the beginning of the press release that announces uh, this year's lineup, there is a quote that says, "You were hailed as quote the Sundance of musical theater." Um, the Sundance Festival mm. certainly has been an enormous launching pad for independent films. But Sundance, it's often questioned, has it become too big for its own good? You've blown up mm-hmm. very fast, and presumably there is continued opportunity for growth. Is there a danger of you becoming too big, too fast, too much, and, and how do you control that? I think partly 
that's that, that, there's also like a typical life for an organization you can only really exist as a scrappy startup for so long before you either run out of energy or you involve into something else i am um, the the sundance kind of quotes are a funny one for exactly that reason that a lot of people don't necessarily they view sundance more as a as an industry event than an artistic event now and i think with the one thing that's really important for us as as an organization is as much as we want to continue our growth and become you know a more secure institution i think the idea of of risk that we can take is the kind of thing we don't want to turn our back on like isaac mentioned before the the dance musical series this year which includes one show that we've commissioned where we commissioned a composer and a playwright and, and five a, choreographers yeah who had worked uh, the the choreographers are people that we knew from another organisation in New York and the the other artists were people that had been in the festival and we sort of thought that there weren't enough... It was really hard for young choreographers or old choreographers, any choreographers, to sort of advance their career and develop new work because you spend most of your time doing shows that already existed. And what we wanted with these guys was to say, you're not going to be the last person to come to the show to, to fill in the gaps between, you know, the book scenes. We want you to be there from day one and we want you to work with um, Sammy, who is Sammy Buck, who is the, the playwright for it, the book writer. We want you to work really closely with him about the story this can tell. We're going to build this with you from, from the ground up and we're going to do it knowing that it's going to be on stage in two months. So there's a really strong deadline for you because we're opening the doors and switching those lights on whether the show's ready or not. So And last year we did a similar thing with, we had an improv series and we uh, we commissioned a new work with a clear deadline and knowing full well that there was a real risk involved. And I think walking that line and trying to make sure that there's always access for new artists and there's always uh, a sense that a certain amount of what's presented may not go anywhere and we don't know what, is, what it's going to be until it gets up on its feet. And that kind of, yeah, in some ways it can't even be the point in some way. Yeah. Like I, I, I sort of worry a lot of the times when people speak to us that... that they start, like Sundance, start viewing it as what's going to be the Sundance hit that's going to be Little Miss Sunshine this year and be a blah, blah, blah. Because, you know, this is really about... We don't choose these shows with an eye on the 34 most likely to transfer musicals that come along the transom. We look at the 34 shows that we think most deserve to be seen in New York City. And for a lot of these shows, as I can speak on, they're from international writers where, or very still relatively early career writers where it might not be this show, but it probably is the next show. We want to give them, we want to say to them, there'll be a next show. It's worth staying with this art form. It's worth writing for musical theatre because your talent is being recognised. And I, I mean, obviously there are uh, the other considerations that we take when we're programming this are trying to make sure that there's a real diversity to the style and the, the you know of the various shows the other thing that's going back to your size question howard is just that we really haven't grown all that much size wise we've grown i think in terms of visibility. marketing and visibility but we have the same number of shows we had last year only three more than the first year mm-hmm. and um you know this year basically what we've added are some social gatherings. We've added a series of parties and things yeah. because, you know, we felt like that is one of the things that a festival should have that is very hard to do in New York. And as we've gathered the resources to do it, we've added that. But that's one thing we wrestle with as well that, that this sort of, there's like a sense because I think there was a real gap for this kind of event in New York. I think there was a real need for it. And it's sort of, you know, nature abhors a vacuum. When you sort of step into that, you're, you've got an opportunity for quite sort of rapid growth. And I think that what we've sort of faced in the last couple of years is a real step up in 
visibility and people that hopefully wanted to, to work with us. The, one of the challenges, though, is we're still three years old. Three and a half years ago, this idea didn't even exist. So we're still a, a very young organisation and, and one that, which is an advantage for us, I hope, but one that is still looking for, you know, what is going to be the next step for us? What is, how do we want this organisation to grow and, and become more consolidated? Looking at the very handsome uh, 32-page full-color booklet you guys put out, <laughs> program listing of all the shows and all that, I notice under the uh, the staff listings, uh, National Music Theatre Network, the name Tim Jerome, who's the president. What is yeah. your connection with them? That, that was actually the organization that I was working for, and uh-huh. they're our umbrella organization. And Tim has been, as well as being a great friend of mine and a great Broadway actor, Tony-nominated, currently in Tarzan. Um, and it's also been a great advocate for new musicals. Um, the National Music Theatre Network's probably in its 23rd year, I think now, 24th year, and has been tireless over the years in what it's done for writers nationally and in evaluating and developing their work and, and launching it here and, and regionally. Um, and it was NMTN that I was working for when the idea of the festival first came up. So and it was, still, they still have a series of yeah. uh, of readings that they do that are pulled from their evaluation program. They mm-hmm. accept submissions of scripts and they give writers feedback on those scripts. Three and, shows in the festival, and three of the readings in our festival are from their series. I also notice in the same booklet that you run seminars and master classes at various points during the three yeah. weeks. Not as good as Howard's, I wouldn't say. <laughs> well, we partnered on one last yeah, year. Yeah, we did. We did so. uh-huh. And I think it's the kind of thing, when you've got this kind of... We talk, we've talked a lot in the last couple of years about doing other things through the year because we'd like to have a more year-round profile. And I think we'll probably continue to grow a bit more down, down that path. But one thing we don't want to underestimate is for three weeks in New York City, we've kind of carved a little gap now. No one's going to open an, another off-Broadway off musical in this period. You know what I mean? Like, this is a time that we, like the Fringe owns, really, those couple of weeks. And there are other events, if you can build it to a certain scale, you've, you've got the attention for that, for that small period. One thing that we take advantage of, I think, in these three weeks is the fact that there is an audience that's wanting to, to, to be involved, not just in seeing the shows, but in seeing the concerts and hopefully the seminars as well. Yeah. Obviously, this year is underway, I'm writing a musical, I'm sitting out somewhere across America, and I want to think about how do I get this into the New York Music Theatre Festival. What is the process? We take submissions starting in the beginning of January for the following September. And how, how, do you, how do you take them and where? And we, we, they're all on our website. Which um, is? Which is www.nymf.org, our nymph.org. Uh, and it's an online submission form. Uh, you then get uh, you know a receipt, and you send that in to us with your script and your uh, CD, sen- CD and, a and a synopsis and um, some basic information about the you know what your show is, uh, and then everything gets read by f- at least four different people. Um, so 400 scripts got read by four different people before that gets called down, and we announce, we tell people whether they're a finalist usually by the beginning of April, and we pick those shows by the beginning of May. So October 1st is the last date of this year's festival. Mm-hmm. October 2nd, what do you guys do the rest of the year? <laughs> we clean up. <laughs> we uh, uh, do a load of washings. We'll have time for a few weeks. Yeah, no, we ha- this year our, uh, our fall gala is in November, so we mm-hmm. won't really get much of a break because November 12th we'll be doing a, a big fundraiser. Yeah. Uh, we are honoring Kevin McCallum. 
mm. who has been a great supporter of, of the festivals, but also I think is of the producers working on Broadway today. He's, he's certainly taken a lot of risks in, in talent discovery and, and launching shows that, that other people might not have had the uh, balls to launch, if I may say such a word on XM Radio. I, I, I guess including I, title of show. Yeah, <laughs> including title of show. I guess what I'm really asking is, this is not just a three-week experience no. for you guys. This is a year-round job. For the for two yeah. of us, it is a year-round job. Mm. Great. Yeah, and we, you know... You know, we are fundraising tirelessly <laughs> to make this yeah. happen, and it, developing shows and commissioning them and reading things that come through. It's it's sort of like Isaac says it, on the really in a clear way. From January first, there are four hundred new musicals that start arriving in the mail, and just the the the, the labour of of looking through those and giving them the the attention they deserve is a is an exhausting thing. But I also think that Chris and I are both. Uh, you know, directors and creative producers, and and I didn't. I don't think either of us wanted this to be just about presenting thirty four, you know, ready to go shows. Yeah. And so we've taken a real interest in continuing to have creative, you know, endeavors through this, like this uh, dance series, and mm-hmm. like we're doing some broadcast musicals, some some radio musicals that we're going to be developing as yeah for two thousand seven. Yeah, which I think is going to be. We one of the things that's been important in that kind of context for us is is working with writers... I think it's hard if you're a writer in a musical. It takes a long time to do and to kind of be expected to, to just sit at home by yourself and, and write this thing and then send it out into the wilderness and hope someone likes it is a big expectation to place on someone. One of the reasons that I think doing this kind of commissioning has been you know, fun for us is to sort of say to writers, well, we, we want you to do this, and when it's done, we're going to make sure it gets on, and that's next year, so let's start writing now. <laughs> And on that note, the New York Musical Theatre Festival, now in its third season, third year, runs from just after Labor Day through the end of September, in this case, October 1st, each and every year. Third annual is right now, fourth annual in 2007, and onward and upward. (laughs) And to Chris Stewart and Isaac Robert Hurwitz, thanks so much for being with us today, Chris, Isaac, on Downstage Center. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. For the American Theatre Wing, I'm Howard Sherman, reminding our listeners that these programs and all of the educational and media work of the American Theatre Wing is available online, on demand, for free, from our website, www.americantheaterwing.org. And for XM Satellite Radio, I'm John Von Susten for Downstage Center. That's a wrap, and thank you.